So Jesus, help us to understand your word. Help us to live by it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Um, I do want to welcome all of you here. Um, thank you for being here. Those of you watching online, those of you at the 11 o'clock service and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, thank all of you for being here. I always think when you're here on a sunny day or a Seahawks game day that you get a bigger reward in heaven. I'm <laughs> absolutely sure it's in the Bible somewhere, all right? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in London visiting a church to learn about a couple of the really cool things they were doing there. One of which was a room where you could get prayer for healing. And, and I have some vision loss in my left eye because of glaucoma. So I decided to go to that room and, and get some prayer. And these two guys were praying for me. And they prayed for me a while. And then they said, is it better? And I looked and I said, no. And then they prayed some more and asked again, is it better? And I said, no. And we did this about 10 times. And then they said something that filled me with dread. <laughs> we are going to stay here all day and keep praying until you're healed. <laughs> and I thought, I'm in London. I don't want to spend the whole day here. So God, if there's going to be any healing, let's get on with it. Because I'd like to go to Westminster Abbey. I got a schedule to keep, God. Let's go. And they just kept praying and praying and praying. And pretty soon I started to feel all this pressure to get healed. And they seemed pressured to like make, it, make me heal, trying to find the magic words. So the next time they asked if my sight was better, I took one for the team. And I said, maybe a little. <laughs> I, I don't know. But it's always good to pray, right? And they said, well, keep on praying. And I said, I will. And left, glad to be on my way to Westminster Abbey. <laughs> now that story... They didn't get that story over there. I think it sounds a little irreverent, but that story, it's just who I am, all right? Just, I'm just weird. Anyway, that story, I think, raises some questions about our relationship with God and prayer. Like, do we really have to say it over and over and over to get what we want? Or do we, why do we have to ask it anyway? Why do we have to pray anyway? Doesn't he just know what we want? And, and, and why don't prayers for things like healing from cancer or marriages to stay together, why do they sometimes get answered, but... Not always. Well, this summer we're doing a sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And the way Jesus preached, the only way really he preached was just to tell stories. Because stories stick with us more than rational, intellectual discourse. We are narrative beings. And we, story is how we make sense of the world. Which is why I tell stories when I preach. And in the story we just read, Jesus compares prayer to a man who has a visitor and he needs to feed him. So at midnight, he goes to a neighbor and asks for some bread. And the neighbor says, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Go away. I just got the toddler down for a nap. We're not, you know, we're not messing with that mojo, right? But the man keeps knocking. Jesus says, <coughs> if the man keeps knocking, the neighbor will eventually give him the bread. Now, the point of the story is not that God is like a grumpy neighbor and we just have to keep bugging him to get what we want. The point is actually the opposite of that. The point is God is not like the neighbor. Jesus goes on to say, which of you, if your child asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who seek and ask? In other words, if even sinful neighbors and sinful parents can give good things, how much more good things will God give? Now, usually preachers say this is a parable about being persistent in prayer. Kind of, sort of. You know, you have to keep asking, sort of like the people in London. You know, kind of, sort of, a little bit, that's what it's about. But ultimately, it's deeper than that. Ultimately, this parable tells us three things. Who we are, who God is, and how then we live in light of those two things. 
First, this parable tells us who we are. We are children of God. And I know that sounds simple and simplistic. It actually changes everything in a deep way when you understand it. The end of the parable, Jesus says, because of your shameless audacity, the neighbor will get up and give you as much bread as you need. And the word shameless audacity there, that's really an understatement. The actual Greek is stronger. In the actual Greek, it says, because of your rudeness, because of your rudeness, the neighbor will give, give you the bread. So Jesus says we can go to God shamelessly, relentlessly, even rudely. And here Jesus offers an understanding of God that is different than any other religion. In the next verse, Jesus switches the metaphor to family. Which of you, if your child asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion instead? So the image Jesus uses here is family and of children asking their parents for something. And you know how kids can just be relentless, even almost rude in how they ask for stuff? Right? Like, please, 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 pretty please, 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 can I have a puppy? Please, please, please. I'll take care of it. Please, please, please. Right? Some of you are living that reality right now. Others of you are having flashbacks, right? Well, that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. We are God's beloved sons and daughters. We can ask him anything. And the thing about kids is they can't figure out the difference between big requests and little requests. They just ask. The other day I, I misplaced my cell phone and I tried to remember where did I last have it. Couldn't remember, couldn't remember. And then I thought, well, maybe I should pray. But then I kind of thought, oh, no, because that kind of is just sort of theologically weird to me to pray about little stuff like that. You know, like, okay, let me get this straight. The crisis in the Middle East goes unsolved, but I got my cell phone. You know, it just kind of bugs me. But then I really got desperate, could not remember where I had put it. So I finally said, okay, God, help me find my cell phone. Instantly, I remembered where I would put it the night before. So I said, well, God, since you're in a good mood, there's a couple other things. <laughs> Actually, I didn't say that, but it kind of that moment kind of messed with my theology. But if in that moment God thought it helpful to build my relationship with him by showing me that he cares for every detail, well, then who am I to tell him that was too small of a thing for him to do? It's like God said to me, you think it's bad theology, Scott, to pray to find your cell phone? Well, who are you to tell me what prayers I should and should not answer? The position of God has been filled, Scott. No need to apply. <laughs> but we'll keep your resume on file. <laughs> See, because Jesus died to pay the price for our sins to reconcile us to God. Because he was cast out, we could be brought in as adopted sons and daughters of God. And adoption is not a change of your behavior. That's how it gets preached. Oh, I got to change my behavior. I got to get nice. I got to get good. Then God will like me. Adoption is not a change of your behavior. It's a change of your status. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And when we know that, we behave differently. And how we view God and how we view ourselves affects how we relate to him. If you see God as your boss, for instance, and you're the employee, then you're going to relate to him in an anxious, fearful way. Have I done enough to please God? Again, oh, I can't ask for this yet because I haven't done enough good deeds. But if we see ourselves as his children, our prayers will be frequent, trusting, and bold. Our prayers will be frequent, trusting, and bold. When you know that you are a child of God, you have no fear. I am my father's son. Whom then shall I fear? When you know you are a child of God, you have more peace. I know that my God is at work in all things to bring good. When you know that you are a child of God, you have more confidence. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High King. That's my worth. That's my value. We are children of God. And that changes everything. Second, this parable tells us who God is. Namely, a good father. Again, simple, but it changes everything. 
See, the real focus of this story isn't prayer, though that's how it gets preached. The real focus of this story is not about prayer. The real focus is on the father who gives good things to his kids. It's about the character of God. And in Jesus' culture, there were two great cultural values, hospitality and the avoidance of shame. And both are in this parable. Because you see, the neighbor, when the man starts knocking and asking for the bread at midnight, the neighbor would have been honor-bound to give him the bread. Otherwise, he would have been shamed by the village for lacking hospitality. And what Jesus is saying is the father is honor-bound by his own character. The father is honor-bound by his own character to give good things. Now, if you're like me, you're right now thinking, well, then how come so many of my prayers go unanswered? I heard a singer recently tell a story of how one time he was singing in a church and this fly kept buzzing around his head and it was distracting. So he prayed, Lord, please get rid of this fly. And then he took a breath to sing and sucked the fly into his throat, started coughing. Is that how you feel God sometimes answers your prayer? Now, I need to say just parenthetically, sometimes God does do miracles. Sometimes he does. Right? I, my, I, my sight was not healed in London, but I have a friend who had a serious eye injury, who, and it was healed through prayer. The doctors couldn't explain it. Yeah, God does that sometimes. But whether God does that or not, the real point of this story is that God is a good father, and he is in a good mood, and he wants to give us good things. It's just that sometimes... He knows what's better for us than we do. Jesus says if your son asks for an egg, you wouldn't give him a scorpion, would you? But it works the other way around too, doesn't it? Right? If your son asks for a scorpion, you're not going to give it to him, right? And notice what the text says. Surely the neighbor, he, will get up and give you as much bread as you need, not necessarily want, need. Because here's the thing. It might be possible, might be possible, be it ever so remote a possibility, it just might be possible that you don't always know what is best for you. I know, highly unlikely, but it's a possibility, right? And it's also possible that God may know what you want even more than you know what you want. As I've shared with you before, always the idea of being a senior pastor made me want to throw up. Like, no, I don't want that. But God knew what I wanted more than I did because I love being one of your pastors. So a good model for prayer is Jesus on the night before he's crucified. He says, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In other words, God, here's what I want, but I know you know better, so I will trust you. But here's what I want. And sometimes God gives that to us. And other times he says, I know, I know you think this is good, but it's actually a scorpion. I got a better way. Trust me. Now, right now, some of you may be going, okay, I get that. God knows better. I get that part. I get it. But what about those prayers that really are for good things? A child to live and not die. A marriage to stay together. Healing from cancer. Why suffering? Now, that could be a whole sermon series. But to that, let me just briefly say, to that, why suffering? Here's how it goes. If you're an atheist, your answer to that question is going to be, stuff happens. Other religions say it's because you did something terrible, either in this life or another life. But Jesus doesn't answer the question, which I highly respect. He never answers the question. Instead, he gives three promises. I am with you always. If a crucified God means anything, it means he knows what it is to suffer. Second promise, I will bring good out of this some way, somehow, someday. I promise you I'll bring good out of it. And then the third promise is I will put a stop to all pain when I return. It doesn't answer the question but for me, it's the best response out there to the question of suffering. 
And part of what Jesus says in this parable is don't look at your circumstances. Look at the giver. He is good. So there must be a good gift in those circumstances somewhere. I've shared with you before that my mom used to give hidden Christmas presents. Like she'd give us a book, but inside would be a gift certificate. Or one year she gave me the ugliest jacket ever. It was green and orange checks with brown fur around the collar. Like it was just hideous. I don't even know where she got it. I was single at the time, and she said, I think you could wear it on dates. And I'm like, I will be single forever. No. But it had $200 in the pocket. Right? And, and I always knew when I got one of those presents, I always knew something was up. Because I knew that the giver, my mom, was good. So even if the jacket was ugly, and boy howdy was it, there had to be something good inside of it. God, for instance, does not cause us to get cancer. He is the source of life. So when we rejected him, we walked away from the source of life. So now our very DNA no longer works the way he intended it to, and we get cancer. He doesn't cause it, but he will compel it to yield up something good. As I've shared with you, my dad had a stroke uh, a couple of months ago, and, and he's recovering. And thank you. I know many of you have been praying for me and my family. We're so grateful. He's recovering, and it, and it looks good right now. But it has been hard on my parents, as you can imagine, and hard on my siblings and, and I to watch and try to care for them and all of that. The stroke is not good, but I can see good things coming out of it. My siblings and I are talking more than we ever have before, and I feel so much closer to them through this. My dad said that he and my mom are talking more deeply than ever before, and he said, I think we're going to come out with a better marriage because of this. That's an amazing thing to say after 60 years of marriage. It is not good, but there are good gifts inside of it. And often the gift in hard times is simply the presence of Jesus himself. Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you, give you what? Give you anything you want? Give you what you ask for? No, give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In other words, the presence of Jesus is something he will give. And lest you think that's a consolation prize, the presence of Jesus actually makes anything else seem small by comparison. And it's hard to describe if you haven't experienced it, but I've told you stories in, over the past couple of years, you know, a lot about my mentor who somehow through battling cancer managed to find a supernatural peace and joy and be able to encourage others. I remember one time I'd been hurt by some untrue gossip about me and I was praying about it and I just got this sense that Jesus was right next to me and in my mind I heard him say, they lied about me too, Scott. And I bore your pain on the cross. I am your pain bearer. For you to feel it now is redundant. And the pain was gone because the presence of Jesus drove it out. A few weeks after I was in London, where I was not healed, I went to another church in California <laughs> that also... What? <laughs> that just was fun. That's funny. Oh, I didn't think that was funny. <laughs> you think it's funny I wasn't healed? They didn't laugh at it over there. <laughs> so a few weeks after I was in London, <clears throat> I was at another church in California that also had a healing room, but theirs was a different kind of healing room. Actually, it was just a worship service because they believe that we are healed when we draw close to God. So as you're singing and worshiping, you know, there's no magic formula kind of thing. You just sing and you worship and there are teams of people moving around the room. When they get to you, you tell them what you want prayer for and, and then they pray for you. So they got to me and I told them and they prayed for my vision and then they asked, is it better? And I thought, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> and I said, no, right? And so I, they prayed again and they asked, is it better? And I said, no. But after the second time, they said, God heals. You're not yet healed. Go in peace because he is with you. 
beautiful theology. God heals. You're not yet healed. Might be healed in the future. Might not be till he returns, but God heals. And you can go in his presence, which will give you peace. And I felt joyful. I felt anxious. I felt unafraid. I felt courageous. The presence of Jesus is no consolation prize. Changes everything. So the question here really is, do you trust that the giver is good? Do you trust that the giver is good? Ask Jesus to show you the gift in the hard times. It may take years to find it, but it's there. Which brings me to our last point. Because we are children of God, and he is a good, good father, we therefore can live loved. In this text, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And those verbs are in the present tense in the Greek. Keep on asking, keep on seeking. Not to wear God down to get what we want, but because prayer is how we build a relationship with Jesus. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say, yeah, I prayed for that once and I didn't get it. <laughs> well, okay, that's like God as computer program, right? But that's not who he is. He's a father. He's a good father. And that's not how relationships work. Right? If your spouse asks you, do you love me? And you said, I told you I loved you back in 1995. If that changes, I'll let you know. Right? As convenient as that sounds to some of you, right, that's not how real relationships work. In healthy relationships, we say important things to each other over and over and over again because that's how you build a relationship. Prayer is not about getting what we want. Prayer is practicing the fatherhood of God. Prayer is practicing being a child of God. Prayer is how we build the relationship, which is why we keep praying. I heard a, chap, a chaplain recently tell a story of a man who was in the hospital for a long time. And every time this chaplain walked into this guy's room, the guy would yell at him and say, get out of here. I don't want to talk to no stinking minister, right? He'd do this every week that the chaplain was there. Well, one day this man did not wave the chaplain off. And he said, I have a question for you about that white thing you're wearing, referring to the clergy collar. What do you believe? So the chaplain told him about Jesus and about grace and about prayer. And then the guy said, prayer, prayer. How do you pray? So the chaplain got off the chair and said, just imagine Jesus sitting in this chair. He's sitting in this chair next to you. He loves you permanently and he knows you completely. So you can just say what you want to say. So what would you say? And the man said, I would tell him that I'm scared because I'm going to die. And the chaplain said, well, what else? And the man said that I screwed up my life, except he didn't use that verb. He used another verb. And I'm sorry for it. And the chaplain said, well, you just keep talking to him about those things. He's here sitting in this chair. Just talk to him and then listen for those thoughts that might come from him in your brain. And remember that you are loved, you are free, and he is here and can give you peace. And the man said, thanks, I can see why you're a chaplain. Well, the next week, the chaplain came back and the guy was gone. And the nurse said, well, he died a few days after you last saw him. But I should tell you that after you left, he was all excited and kept bouncing around in his bed, telling us what you'd said about him and the chair and Jesus thing and all this. He was so happy for his last few days. And the chaplain started to walk away and the nurse said, oh, there's one other thing, kind of strange. But the morning we found him dead, he was leaning out of the bed. Somehow he had pulled the chair over and his chest was on the chair and his arms were wrapped around the back of the chair. And that's how he died. Not a bad way to go. Right? Whereas before he was anxious, afraid, worried, angry. Because of Jesus' presence, he spent his last few days unafraid and joyful and died in his Savior's arms. So this week, spend some time in prayer. 
Use music if that helps you connect emotionally with God. I use music all the time because it helps me connect emotionally with him. Wait for those thoughts or those pictures or those images that he might put into your mind and focus on the giver, not on your circumstances because the giver is good and he gives good things. I'll close with this. Our oldest child, my daughter, graduated this week which was from high school, which was really hard. No one, like, warned me about how hard this would be, right? I mean, she's our first child, so all of this is new. She's graduating from high school, and I was doing fine. I was doing great. But then they started playing that graduation music, you know, which is just sort of sad anyway, right? And they were walking up instantly. I choked up. I got all teary. I'm just kind of, oh, she used to be a baby, but now she's my little girl. (laughs) But I was trying to keep it all together and my, not show my wife because she was sitting there cool as a cucumber, right? <laughs> and it got me thinking about when she was little and all my good intentions toward her, some of which I did and some of which I failed to do. And I remembered when Christina was pregnant with her and the first time we heard the heartbeat, I didn't even know what sex she was yet. All I knew was whatever was attached to that heartbeat, I would do anything for And then I had another memory. I don't know why I got this particular one. I've actually shared this one with you before years ago, but I'll share it again because it came up this week, sitting at graduation, when she was five and we took our kids to Disneyland for the very first time. And we were at a breakfast at this restaurant where the Disney characters kind of wander from table to table. And Holly was really into princesses back then. And we could see Cinderella. She wanted to meet Cinderella, but Cinderella wasn't coming to the table. And we asked the waitress, but she said, oh, no, they have a set route they have to follow, so she can't come over. Well, there was no way I was leaving that restaurant without my daughter getting to talk to Cinderella. (laughs) Even if I had to wrestle Cinderella to the ground myself, (laughs) which I was more than willing to do. So I went over to Cinderella, got up, went over to Cinderella, and I said, Cinderella, because that's her name. (laughs) I got a little five-year-old girl here who's just dying to talk to you. Could you come over? So she bent the rules and came to our table. Cinderella's a rebel, apparently. And when my daughter saw her, my daughter, five years old, jumped out of her seat, ran over, looked up at her, and got this huge smile on her face and hugged her. And I got all choked up because it gave me joy to give that to my daughter. I personally had no pressing need to meet Cinderella. (laughs) But I wanted to give that gift to my daughter. And if that's me, who is sinful to the core, then how much more so would our Heavenly Father give to us? So this week, practice the fatherhood of God by talking to him. Look for the gift even in the hardest of times, knowing and trusting that the giver is good all the time. And all the time, the giver is good. So Jesus, thank you for that. And Lord, I know that in this room right now are people who are having a hard time believing, Jesus, that you are good. They don't see anything good. And they don't know where you are. So Jesus, for them and for all of us, help us to see your goodness in the land of the living. Give us faith and confidence that you are there, that you are good, and that you will bring good things out of whatever we face. And Lord, help us to move forward with courage and joy. Thank you, Father, that you are good. And thank you, Father, that you call us sons, you call us daughters. We are grateful. Help us to live in light of that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.